everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Melanade Scenes podcast. I'm Tiara, and I'm here to give it to you straight up, raw, no filter. Welcome to today's Melanated discussion. As a part of the Melanated Professional series, we will be talking with Daisha to learn about her career, how she got there, and how you too can be a powerful Melanated professional like her. So thank you, Daisha, for taking time out of your day to be here and enlighten us. Are you ready to get into these questions? I am. Thank you for having me. Okay, so first and foremost, what is your job title? Okay, so my job title on paper is Program Specialist Intern Programs at Google. And so really what that means is a program manager. Um, And so my role is sort of a blend of people ops and sort of core HR work with a lot of program design evaluation and sort of being strategic about what we produce as far as experience for the interns we have. Okay, so how did you get into this career field? Like, do you have to have a degree? Is a degree required or have you seen some people who don't have a degree but somehow made it into this career field? Um, And if you do require a degree, what did you study in school? Okay. So as far as like the actual requirements, there isn't a degree requirement for my role. But I will also say I haven't interacted with anyone in my role who does not have a bachelor's degree at least. Um, So there's that. Um, In terms of what I studied in school, I have a bachelor's in um, economics and I went on to start a master's in HR management. Um, And I've done some certifications and a few other things. I'm currently doing an advanced DEI certification through Cornell. um, What's DEI? Yeah, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So okay. It's been an exciting program. Um, I have two more classes in the next few weeks. So, yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. Nice. So after college, Aisha, was it easy to get into like this career field or get a job within this field? Or did it take a little while? Like, what does that look like? So if somebody was watching this, they're like, okay, I like what she's talking about. I think I want to do that. What should they plan on after they get out of college? Like what type of job they maybe need in order to lead into your field? Or is it just something you can go directly into? Because I know for me, uh, no, that was not the case. (laughs) I had to do something else in order to get where I am now. Like basically like earn your stripes basically before someone gave me a chance to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. um, So I think it really kind of started while I was still in college. I was sort of like, oh, I'm a social justice warrior. Like, I want to change the world. Like, I had very, like, rosy colored glasses in the sense that I felt like I'm in this position to create all of this change, which, like, that was true. Like, I was powerful. I was a change maker. Um, But I didn't necessarily, like, understand the complexities of, like, the systems that I was navigating yet. So... Um, While I was in college, I was doing like a lot of work with nonprofits. I had worked with like tutoring youth. I had done um, SAT prep for young people, all of it sort of focusing on like youth of color, low income youth, queer youth, any youth that were marginalized. Um, 
And I had done, you know, all of this organizing on campus. I was a part of our Black Women's Collective um, and did some work there. So moving away from that, once I graduated, I sort of said, okay, I know I want to go into the nonprofit space because I feel like I'll have the ability to make a lot of impact. And, you know, realistically, even though I had a degree in economics at that point, I didn't understand how capitalism impacts the nonprofit world. <laughs> um, and so I was sort of on this, like, we're going to do all of this good. And in reality, it's sort of like a series of exchanges in the nonprofit space. So it's like, sure, you could do all this good, but what does it mean when you apply for a grant? You have to agree to certain stipulations of your programming, right? right. Um, and getting funding for that. But so I did do, I worked in nonprofits for a long time. I'd say like four years before I switched over to a different type of nonprofit, which was in healthcare. And I had sort of a pure HR representative role there. Um, it was nonprofit healthcare, but it wasn't like a service-based or youth service-based organization. So a little bit different, but definitely through all of those roles, I was like designing programs, evaluating them, developing partnerships with, you know, for-profit companies, different organizations, recruiting volunteers, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Okay. So what type of jobs should someone be looking for, applying for? Like, what are some like keywords that yeah. someone might look for if they're going to apply for such a role? Because I know a lot of jobs will say they're one thing and then you be doing something <laughs> completely different within the job role. So what should somebody be looking for? Keywords on a posting, a job posting. Yeah. I would say some keywords would be like program coordinator, program assistant, program associate, um, or switch out programs for projects. Um, sometimes they're used interchangeably. And depending on the organization, the scale of the work is different and that may impact whether they say program or project. But those would be the roles that I would look at sort of right out of college. But also I would say one of the things that I probably could have done differently when I graduated, I didn't really, I wasn't looking toward aspirational goals. I was sort of like, let me get in where I fit in and do all yeah. this time and do all this work. When in reality, I saw my peers who, I went to women's college, so I had peers who were white women mostly, who sort of went into these program manager roles, the right. associate roles at large companies right out of college. And I just, you know, I probably because of a lack of mentorship, sponsorship, or just having the right connections within my field, I just didn't see my own ability to like launch straight into that right. after college, but it's possible. Yeah. I hear you. The mentorship and sponsorship or just straight up nepotism, which they might have where right. somebody will give them a job and just right. let them figure it out. Whereas us, it's like, no, let me make sure I know how to do this. Make sure I know how to do that. Like, make sure you're perfect at everything before you feel comfortable saying, yes, I'm going to go apply for this role or try to do this role or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It makes a huge difference. And it makes a huge difference in your pockets too. <laughs> when you start in a certain place versus just being to jump right into something in corporate America, like a lot yeah. of white people get to do. Right. I mean, that's what I look back on. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm really grateful for where I am now. I'm yeah, proud of course. And I'm like happy about the journey, but I'm like, 
financially, I would have been so much further ahead mm-hmm. had I had the same types of connections, right? Right. Or aware of the same types of opportunities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so, Daisha, <laughs> once on the job, what does a day, day in the life look like for you? Okay. Um, so, my day to day, honestly, I send and read a lot of emails. <laughs> um, and so there's like a fair amount of writing. I feel like that's something that's not really pushed as like a core skill that people really need to drill down on. But like written communication is very important. I agree. Um, and so I'm doing a lot of reading and writing emails, connecting with other folks in a written format. And then also, I actually spend a lot of time in meetings. So I would say, typically, especially like during the busy season, I probably spend about four to five hours of my day in meetings. And the rest of that time I spend sort of quickly trying to get through my inbox and then spending time like actually doing project work and sort of making Mm -hmm. progress on my deliverables. I hear you. So it doesn't sound like it's a 40 hour work week, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I will say like, I do have a lot of flexibility in terms of like trying to set my hours and when I'm available and things like that. And I've gotten in a habit more recently and maybe it's a result of sort of feeling like, okay, I've sort of proven myself, but I'll block off a day and say, this is a no meeting day for Daisha. I'm not meeting with anyone. If you request right. a meeting with me, like expect it to be declined and I'll reschedule. <laughs> um, Cause I have some work to do, like focus work. Um, but definitely like in my busy season, I work more than 40 hours a week. Um, and I mean, I'm salaried, so there's that piece. I'm not making overtime, but you know, it's sort of the name of the game. And I do feel like it ebbs and flows throughout the year. There's some times where it's like very quiet. And so I have a lot more time right. to sort of focus on like, Ooh, what's this professional development thing that I want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, most of the time it's not 40 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what are some things you like the most about your job and some of the things you like the least or that yeah. are also like challenging? What what comes as a challenge within this role? Mm-hmm. The things I like the most, um, because I've been working with like young people and students for a long time, it's always sort of refreshing. And now I'm a little bit older, which I'm really not that old, but I guess I'll say like a little bit older as reflecting back on like the beginning of my professional career. Um, you know, back then I felt like very connected to what like, you know, young students were experiencing and going through. And now I'm sort of like, oh, wait, so right. now I'm what? What's cool? Like, what is cool <laughs> doing now? Like, oh, that's different. Um, so I feel like they kind of keep me on my toes and keep me a little bit fresh. Um, so I enjoy that interaction. Um, I really enjoy sort of when I get to operate as like a consultant, um, both for like other folks on my team, whether that's around like, diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, whether it's around, you know, going through an analysis and figuring out, does this program actually make sense? Can we launch this in the time frame that we need to? Um, what are the barriers that we need to be on the lookout for? Um, but also when I just get to work with interns one-on-one and sort of sit down and say like, hey, you're having an issue with your supervisor or, you know, you're experiencing this dynamic on your team how can we partner to work through that? So that's probably what I like the most. In terms of what I like the least, um, and I kind of touched on it with like the meetings, like especially working from home, like I have total meeting fatigue. 
And so I've been now strategic in like trying to reduce the number of meetings that I have. Um, but it can be kind of draining to just sort of go from meeting to meeting. You're always context switching. And yeah, at the end of the day, you're like, okay, I have to completely recalibrate and get into a space where I can just do focus work. Um, so that would be the thing that I'd say I like the least. Although I enjoy the interaction, I know when I'm like reaching my threshold. <laughs> right. Um, other Sorry. things that I like the least. I would say there's a fair amount of like sort of administrative pieces around like tracking and data entry and things like that, which I don't mind doing, um, but it takes me away from my like creative strategic space. Right. right? Um, so, yeah. What would you say is the most challenging thing? The most challenging thing within my role. Um, I would say probably the most challenging thing would be constantly adapting to change. My team, which is great, and I love this about my team, we're like very innovative. So year over year, we're trying to figure out what went wrong, what can we improve, um, and what can we implement to you know, solve for some of the problems that we experience. But even at our own direction, we still are impacted by all of these other trends and dynamics that happen across the company. And so we're always having to shift and navigate change. Um, I really enjoy that process, but it took me years to get to a point where I feel like I can do that with grace. <laughs> um, and, you know, sort of, I've always been pretty, like a pretty laid back and chill person. And so I feel like that does help me to kind of keep my calm through that. I agree. Same thing over here. Lots of change all the time. And it's like, okay, well, we just kind of perfected this other thing that was out of place for a while. Now it feels good. And now we want to add something else to it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Daisha, would you say there are growth opportunities within um, like a program manager, project manager, program coordinator uh, type of role? Or should someone plan to maybe pivot to something else after a certain yeah. amount of time? And if there are areas that you can branch off into easily, uh, what are those? Yeah, there's definitely growth. Um, I feel like you know, really when we think about business, it's really like a series of programs and projects, right? There's always going to be a need for someone who can develop a vision, develop a strategy, and execute it, you know, end to end. And so it's a really good skill set to have and can kind of lend itself to other roles. Because I work in tech, a lot of people sort of think through, oh, well, would I actually like to become a product manager um, and take on a more technical role? But there's also a lot of non-technical program manager roles and you can sort of excel. What I would say is like in terms of growth and progression, the more you grow, um, the more influence you have, the more scope you're responsible for. And so it could look like, you know, me being, you know, having a little bit of influence over like my directors, right, to in several years, maybe I have a lot of influence over someone who's a VP or an SVP, right, um, and becoming that sort of like trusted advisor to folks who are in these leadership roles. Yeah, 
I always wonder if it's uh, similar or if it differs when you go from tech company to tech company. And because there's so many like different types of program managers or project managers, I always wonder like, do com do other companies program manager mean something different than the company that I'm at or yeah, how that works. Yeah, and there's even differences like within the company depending on which sec segment you're in. So we have folks mm -hmm. who work in tech, we have folks who work in the business side of things, and then we have folks who work in our what we call like GNA, um, sort of our general and administrative employees. And there's program managers across all three of those segments. Right. It can look very different um, depending on what exactly you work on. Right. So would you say it was difficult getting into this field and like as a melanated woman specifically? <laughs> um, and what are some challenges you face that you know had nothing to do with like your intellect or your ability to do the job and everything to do with you being a woman and a woman of color? Yeah. Or both. Yeah, um, I would say early on in my career, I leaned very heavily into like my personal experience enables me to, you know, understand the dynamics of like these marginalized youth, some of what they're experiencing and design for that um, and think through how we can improve their experiences and educational context or professional context um, because I grew up low income, because I'm a black woman. Um, I also grew up in a large city. I'm from LA. I was sort of really leaning into like, hey, I have a lot of lived experience that translates and you need my voice at the table and in this space. So I would say like initially that's sort of what got me my seat at the table at some of the organizations I worked in. Um, I would say now I have that experience, but I've also been able to like work with folks from a lot of different backgrounds and experiences and deepen my understanding of other experiences, right? And I think that's enabled me to be someone who's like empathetic and a great listener. And that is sort of like, hearing that client or user voice, right, in that perspective, and then being able to translate and sort of design for that. But in terms of the challenges, I would say it's that sort of like lived experience piece is almost like a double-edged sword because on one hand, it's like, yes, we need this experience. We need to hear that voice. We need to hear from someone who's experienced these things. On the other hand, how do you avoid being tokenized, right? and further marginalized <laughs> for that experience. Right. You know, I had experiences where it was like working in a nonprofit where it's like, oh, we need someone to go and speak at this event where there's potential donors or there's potential volunteers or potential partner organizations. Okay, well, who do we wanna send? Well, even though the organization may have been snow-capped, meaning like, there's white folks and leadership, although it was purpose to serve like these folks of color, they would sort of say, oh, well, we could get Daisha to go, or we could get this black man to go, right? And so you're sort of um, made to be the voice, but sometimes without the power and the influence and really right. the check, right? <laughs> right. Along with like being the voice or being representative. So I would say that's definitely a challenge that I faced. Um, 
Another one I would say is that funnily, like to just like bring some humor to it. It's like we talk about like, oh, black don't crack all the time, right? <laughs> like, and so I think I am a young woman, but I also look young. I feel like in the past few years, I feel like I'm starting to like look a little bit more grown, so to speak. Um, but definitely like in the first few years of my career, I was constantly like being undermined um, and question and sort of having my perspective or my recommendations invalidated right what they would code as like oh lack of experience but really mm-hmm. it was about my age right and so I definitely had to navigate that which was challenging that, how did you navigate it like how did you yeah. shut down those situations or prove them wrong basically yeah <laughs> we kind of touched on this earlier when you were saying like just because I'm in this position and I'm young does and I'm like you know in a position where I'm performing well or excelling I want to progress and grow at the rate that my performance says I should not at the rate that you think I should based on my age or how long it took you to do something <laughs> exactly right? mm-hmm. like, it took you five years uh, I don't think it's gonna take me that long but exactly uh, you know so I think that was a piece of it, like, first off, just recognizing that people were sort of putting their own journey onto me as, like, no, you have to go through these checkpoints and these benchmarks before you get X. Um, But I think what I've done to sort of navigate that in some ways really has been a big lesson is, like, always be open to opportunities, always be open to switching it up, whether that's, like, your full-time role or a side hustle, whatever it is. Um, But I feel like in a lot of these corporate contexts, that's really the way that you establish value is to say, well, the market says I command X, right? And these people are reaching out to me because of that. They're interested in my expertise and my work. So um, that's one way. I think the other thing has been to try to be on point as much as possible, um, which you know, for a lot of high performing women of color, like that's not hard to do. But I would say even in the moments where like, maybe I'm not completely certain, I don't have like a fully baked answer, or, you know, I haven't done all of the research yet, confidence really makes the difference, right? And even being able to confidently say when someone asks you something or tries to question you, and maybe you don't know the answer on the spot saying like, well, you know what, I can do some additional research on that and get back to you with a more fully formed answer. Right. You know, and then following up and making sure they know like, oh, okay, she did follow up. She does have this information can be helpful. I agree. I want to add something to the first one that you said, though, like not limiting your opportunities. Like women, a lot of the times feel bad about like leaving a team and moving on and doing something. (laughs) Don't feel bad. You need to think about a job the same way a man does. If you, if you don't think a man will care about or be sad to leave his team because you know that, well, you've been with them for a long time. You invested a lot of time. Okay. But if another opportunity comes your way and it's a better one, you do what's best for you, not what's best for that team. Because in in a second, somebody else on that team will leave to make something better for them yeah yes you have options value like you know you gotta figure out like are these people signaling to me that they really understand my value for real and i rewarded in a way that aligns with that because in reality we may feel bad like oh well i've put in this much work and i'm the expert on x and who's gonna take this over when i go companies will figure it out. They will always figure it out. 
<laughs> so um, yeah, you really have to be self-interested in that and like act out of what's best for you, which I think took me a while to do both like personally and professionally. I felt like yeah. I had to sort of be able to like live that in my personal life before the confidence sort of translated and I could do that in my professional life. Yes, definitely. Don't feel bad. <laughs> know your value. Is your team paying you what your value is? Because if they're not, um, it's time to go somewhere else. Yeah. Like Daisha said, they'll figure it out. And if they don't want to figure out how to make your paycheck look different, then I wouldn't even care if they can't figure out who's gonna who's gonna backfill me. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> like yeah, nah. like that's just it. Y'all got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So, Daisha, how long have you been uh, in this field? How so, long has it been? Yeah, I've been doing like program coordination, program design, all that stuff for, I'd say, six years. And I would say like the HR pieces of it for four years. Yeah. Okay. So what is the earning potential within this career field? You don't have to say your pay, of course, but like, yeah. what is the pay range? Like somebody coming into a role like this, net new, can they guarantee making at least 50, 60K base? I'm not talking about all the other extra right. stuff that companies love to try to add in there, but you're getting this and you're getting this. You get RSUs and nah, base yeah. pay, what you're taking home. What right. can they guarantee coming in? I would say the first three years and then after that what is like the earning potential yeah so it really does depend on like where you work right so like how large is the company what industry is the company in and how well is the company performing but i would say you know sort of regardless of those things definitely doing this work um and just transparently you know when i got out of college I was doing an AmeriCorps role doing this work for basically pennies, <laughs> right? And I didn't realize like, oh, I have the potential to, once I got into um, a nonprofit where I was doing it full-time and actually had a salary, um, mm -hmm. I started out making $40,000 a year doing that. Then got a promotion and increased to $45,000 a year. Um, and so that was pretty early on in my career now where I am like you know definitely there's potential to be on the end of somewhere around $80,000 to you know around like 100 I'd say like 115 $125,000 right a year depending on what kind of company it is right yeah ditto I echo that and then if you want to later move over into product, like Daisha mentioned earlier, then you can start getting into the 150s and up. Right. So yes. And then if you are a technical, so if you're a TPM, technical program manager or product manager, then it is even more. Yeah. Yeah. If you can code a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> know a little bit of SQL, you know, those are valuable skills to have too. Yeah. Yeah. So any tips, Daisha, you would give a younger you or someone who might be watching this that might be like college age and like, what are some things that you feel like you would have benefited from coming right out of college, like where you would have done better or kickstarted your career faster yeah. if you were just given this piece of information? What would it be? Yeah. Funny enough, like, you know, I work in an intern programs team 
But while I was in college, I actually never had an internship. And, you know, I kind of like, part of me when I've thought about that has been like, why didn't my professors tell me that I needed to intern somewhere? Right. <laughs> why didn't they let me know that? Um, but the reality of it was while I was in college, I was also working three jobs and I wasn't in a position to take some like unpaid internship, which a lot of my mm-hmm. peers did, which gave them sort of on the job experience and sometimes allowed them to move into roles that were better paying with more responsibility right, right out of college. Right. Um, so I guess that's the first thing would be like, internships and do your research until you find something that will pay you because it's out there companies will pay you know students as interns but I just wasn't aware of those opportunities right the first thing I did internship in college but it wasn't like internship that had anything with like what I was going into. It was just more like, make sure you get these hours. You have to do something somewhere to get X amount of hours, or basically you're not going to pass this course, which means you're not going to graduate. And so I had an internship, but I didn't know how important they were. And like you said, why aren't the professors telling you this? If I go to a private university where it's $40,000 a year, why the hell ain't this professor letting people know these are good ones to get into and this is why. Internship means X, Y, and Z. This could mean this for your career right when you get out of college. None of that. I wasn't given any of that information. It was like, I just have to go volunteer somewhere basically to get these hours so I can graduate, which is some bullshit. Right. Right. Um, I'm like, what was the career services team doing? Like, was I just not right. enough? Like, what was going on? Um, but, no, they are not providing this information or they're not doing it in the best way that they, that they could be doing it. Like, no, for sure. Um, definitely. So I guess, and that brings kind of to another lesson is like, you may not recognize like all of the resources that you have available to you or like at your disposal, but the only way to find that out is to like ask, like, don't be afraid of asking, what can you do for me? What services can you provide? Um, You know, you talk about going to private university, me too, it was like $52,000 a year. Mm -hmm. I was not taking advantage of all the services that I could have been to, you know, push me forward in my career or even my education while I was there. The other thing would be, I didn't really understand companies as organizations that exist to fill a market need. Um, And that's based on like, what do the users want? What do they need? How can we be helpful to them? How can we improve their experience? So I just wasn't thinking of them in that way. And you know, I think that's kind of what led me to the nonprofit space, when in reality, I could have been doing good work. There were corporate social responsibility roles at that time, right? Um, Work that I felt like was impactful in terms of the community. I could have been doing that in a corporate space and earning that corporate check. (laughs) Um, Right. So like, that would be another thing. And I guess just like paying attention to like what you use, what you enjoy, what you like, and then researching the companies that provide those services or those products. Um, Because that gives you an opportunity to say, hey, like I'm a user of this. I have experience here. I understand how it works. I understand the purpose. And so I feel like I can influence the direction of this product or this service um, as a way to sort of approach corporate roles. Definitely. Last question for you. What 
what can another melanated woman do if they're saying, okay, I'm going to go into this career field or I'm going to change my career field. I'm at the point where I'm done with whatever I'm doing and I want to move over and do what Daisha is doing. Mm-hmm. How does she go in and kill it from day one? Um, I would say like curiosity, asking questions is going to serve you very well. I feel like sometimes as Black women, we can sort of feel like if I don't come in day one and present as though I know everything, like the back of my hand, then people won't think that I'm credible. Um, When in reality, there's a desire for people who are curious, ask questions, um, and use that to develop solutions. So that would be one is like, don't be as concerned with like, do I know every single thing? Like ask intelligent questions. I think that also like sort of gets people to notice how you think um, and how creative you are. 100%. Other things that you could do to kill it from day one, this may seem like basic, but networking is very, very important. You never know when you may want to get into your next opportunity. Like you were saying, like if you want to switch career fields, um, it's so important at that point to have built up a network that you can leverage to say, oh, I'd like to work at X company or I see this role open. Do I know someone who knows someone who works there, (laughs) right? Um, And how can I get connected with this person and even just learn about what their experience is, get the rundown on how the business operates, things like that. So that networking piece is key. And even when you're in a role, networking with folks who are beside you, so like laterally, your peers, learning as much as you can from them and giving them value as well. And also folks above you, folks below you. Um, If you're in a position where you have folks who either maybe report to you or you're responsible in some way for assigning them work or projects, um, that can be a really good tool for getting feedback to how you show up as a leader. So definitely, and that brings me to another thing, like always asking for feedback, not being afraid to hear maybe something that's negative or feels like a criticism or a correction, recognizing that like, hey, you have an intention and that's sort of the lens through which you work, but other people may receive it differently. Um, And so hearing from them, don't be afraid to get that feedback so that you can make adjustments as you need to. I agree. That's some stuff that I learned after getting into corporate America. Like people were surprised that I was asking so many questions, but to me, that's just how I am. But people were like, yeah, Tara always asks the difficult questions. We need these questions asked and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking in my head, like, these are not difficult questions. I just didn't know. So I want to, you know, I want to know. I want to know who's asking this. Like this seems like the elephant in the room, but nobody wants to address it. So no question is a dumb question. Because I'm going to let you know some now. There will be 50 people sitting in a meeting. If it's a, a meeting with the higher up person, then they're usually bigger anyways, where I'm at. And 30 of them is thinking the same question that you just asked, but they're afraid to ask. So don't be afraid to ask questions, even especially when you're sitting in front of leadership because they appreciate it. Right. And they want to know that like people actually have an understanding, right? Because their job is to say, let me set the vision. Let me set the strategy. Y'all go off and make it happen. If you don't understand what they're talking about, how can you <laughs> right in the way that they expect you to? So like getting that clarity, I think, you know, leaders appreciate that, like you said. Exactly. And then when you sit in your QBRs, your quarterly business reviews or monthly, and then they come back with the same thing like, oh, well, I thought we addressed this, or you guys said that you had it. Now you're sitting here in front of leadership looking like a person who's incompetent because you right. failed to ask a question, a very easy question that could have 
solved a bunch of problems that you've been working toward over the last quarter or last month that right. you thought you knew what he meant and you had no idea what they meant. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Daisha, before we close it off, um, I've been putting these at the end of all of these professional series uh, because I was looking up stuff to find out about like careers, choosing a career, and she was saying that people should always ask themselves these three questions before going into a career. And if you can answer them, then you, you will know whether or not that's something you need to do. Mm. Um, they were also talking about how a lot of people just choose a career, but they don't actually think about the talents they innately have, like just when they're not utilizing them in a way where they can bring them money. And so she said that you need to ask yourself, what are you good at? What do people tell me I'm good at? And mm. what's holding me back? And if you can answer those three questions, then you can jump into anything and basically yeah, I kill like it. I will and I think, I think question number two is the, the best out of all of them. What do people tell me I'm good at? Because right. I never really looked at what do people tell me I'm good at. I was just like, okay, I'm going to pick this as a degree because I heard of people doing this. I'm kind of interested in it. There we go. Yeah. But never really considered what am I already good at? If you can do something right. you're already good at and it doesn't seem like work, I feel like you should do it. I'd rather be doing something I care about. I'd rather be doing something that I feel like is impactful. Right. And I feel like yeah. when the impact goes away, that's when I'm like, no, I'm not even trying to be here. <laughs> I don't want to work here. I don't want to do this. 100%. Or it's time to switch it up. 100%. Yeah. If you see that falling by the wayside, that's your, that's your flag. Like, mm -hmm. All right. Let me start thinking about something else. Let me figure out another plan. Well, everyone, Daisha told you how to kill it from day one. You have no excuses if you're trying to do what she's doing. It is possible. Um, she's gone through her own trials and tribulations getting to where she is now, and she did it. So you can as well. Thank you for your time, Daisha. Thank I you. I appreciate it. Of course. Hey, you. Thanks for tuning in to the Melanated Scenes podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. In the meantime, hit that subscribe button and I'll catch you on the next one.